driving cars costs society a lot of money and a lot of environmental impact that we sort of hide. It's difficult to have those conversations with people because car marketing makes us feel like cars are just part of the fabric of society. God set the street design and God gave us cars to move around with, but it's not true. Car culture is reversible. Once you get somebody on a bike, once they have that first commute, I really feel like that's the turning point. They start feeling better. They start losing weight. That's really inspiring stuff. How you doing, man? What's happening, Nick? Everything is good. All right. I want to go over some of the uh, strategizing stuff that before our first guest comes on that we've been talking about with the Green New Deal and their transportation plan or lack of it Mm -hmm. that you first brought up in your conversation with uh, Joe Linton uh, in our Streets Blog episode. Burning of fossil fuels is, you know, a huge contributor to climate change, especially from transportation. And in our discussion with Joe, I was kind of like, you know, it's a, it's a gut assessment, but I don't hear enough coming from groups such as Sunrise Movement about car usage and its contribution to climate change. We started to talk about like, well, what is the official policy stance of the Sunrise Movement? Uh, vis-a-vis transportation. It really wasn't clear what the policy goals are, at least from from my research. I think that's something we should be working on to get this, you know, groups like the Sunrise Movement to come on board and sing the song of the, you know, walkable, bikeable city and planning and so forth. Um, The thing that I've noticed about transportation is um, I think there's a lot of confusion and I think there's a lot of uh, blurry lines when it comes to, you know, where people stand on transportation, especially car driving. You'll run into a lot of folks that will be progressive and liberal, et cetera. But when you start talking about taking away car lanes or making car driving itself more expensive or more difficult in favor of public transportation and walking and biking and so forth, they get upset because they see it as an attack on regular working folks. There's a lot of uh, noise out there that if if you sort of transform the streets to be less car friendly and more bike transportation and pedestrian friendly you're putting a hardship on working class folks so that's there's truth to that it's like with coal it's like if you were gonna stop using coal you know who works in coal working class people they lose their jobs it's the same thing but on a much bigger scale if you make driving reflect the costs to to everyone right driving cars costs society a lot of money and a lot of environmental impact that we sort of um, hide. It's difficult to have those conversations with people because they're, I talk about this all the time, the amount of car marketing that 
is in our society um, basically makes us feel like cars are just part of the fabric of society. They are, they've all, you know, it's like, it's like God set the street design and God gave us cars to move around with. And um, now this is what we have, but it's not true. You know, car culture is reversible and it's, it's, uh, it's actually very expensive. It's a very classist form of transportation that uh, it has been imposed on us in the last you know, 60 or 70 years. Well, I think this is a very intellectual way to introduce our guest, who is the admin of the Bike Commuting Group on Facebook, Claire Wimp. Hey, Claire. Hey there. Good evening. Nice to meet you guys virtually. <laughs> now, Claire, you're in Olympia, Washington. Is that true? So I grew up in Olympia, Washington. I've been Northwest origins. Um, right now, I actually live in the Bay Area of California. So I've been West Coast my whole life. Okay. West Coast and same here. <laughs> right. I don't know. Nick, Nick, you're from the East Coast, right? My dad lived out here and my mom lived there. And so I was here in the summer. So I'm kind of bi-coastal. But uh, Olympia, that's a good sounding place. Yeah, it was a really, really bike friendly uh, location, actually. Um, despite the rain, everyone always says the Northwest is so rainy, but you know, got a good set of rain gear and you're fine. I grew up commuting there um, ever since probably around second or third grade, either with my parents. And then when I was old enough by myself, all the way through high school. And actually, that is where the bike commuting page on Facebook uh, started. In Olympia, we had, uh, I don't know if it's still called the same, but we had a wonderful public transit authority called Inner City Transit. And they were looking for ways to promote more bike commuting in the area. And they started up this thing where every month of May, they would have a bicycle commuter contest and you would get a log to put your miles every day. It would only count if it was a commute mile. So you had to go from A to B and uh, you'd log those up over the month and they would have you know, prizes and coupons. Some were depending on how you performed. Others were just participatory. You know, you got a cookie at the local bakery kind of thing. But it was great. And, you know, I got really into it and ended up trying to encourage a bunch of my high school classmates to do it as well and kind of friendly competition. Um, and that's really the group on Facebook truly started as a community group for my high school friends that were doing that competition. Um, and it stayed that way for a long time, um, probably the next five or six years. It was pretty much a group of 100 folks max. And about, gosh, five or six years ago now, um, it just started taking off. Um, and I haven't really quite put my pin on exactly what triggered that. But as soon as you start getting more people joining and, and folks from different parts of the world joining, I think the Facebook algorithm starts doing magic and more people see it and think about joining it. Um, and now we are over 6,000 people from around the world, almost every continent represented, except maybe Antarctica. It's really cool as I, you know, accept each of the people um, that join because we do have like a firewall I will you know go through and say yes to every single person that joins you know you see Malaysia India all over Europe Russia South America you know Central America and all over the U.S. Canada I mean it's just like it's really neat. And you individually approve each person? Uh, myself as well as uh, we have a couple moderators and uh, two other admins so I eventually had to start recruiting because um, it was too much for me to be the sole person to monitor comments on posts. And um, we don't approve the posts. 
we are open. You know, if you're a member of the group, you can post. There's no approval process. We do have strict rules about, you know, what we want you to post on. If you flagrantly ignore those, <laughs> you'll probably find your post has disappeared. Um, but uh, yeah, every single person that joins um, gets put in kind of a queue. And then one of our admins or moderators, moderators whoever gets to it first, will go through and approve it. I think you have, I, I remember you having 8.5 thousand. And have you checked lately? Was it really that high? I said, did I just say 6,000? That's a Friday. My brain's fried. We might be actually that high. I, you probably have looked more recently than I have. <laughs> well, um, I was bike commuting before COVID and I would uh, take, I mean, I had, I had like seasons when I would do it. I mean, it, it didn't depend on the actual season, but I mean, personal seasons. Um, where I would take three trains and on um, my Brompton and do like the first. Oh, mile. nice. And yep. so I understand there, there's some great study that was referenced on uh, Twitter uh, recently by this woman, Jessica Roberts, um, who did research about, about bike commuting. And it, it said things like, um, everybody hates their commute. This is a scientific study. Everybody <laughs> hates their commute. I mean, she used the word everybody, except everybody's in a car. And so I guess there's probably this worldwide agreement on that. Um, and, and is that different and different from places in the world that you found? So I don't know that particular study, um, the irreferencing. I would say a lot of the ways that people approach their commute, and, and I do see this on the group, it comes from a lot of different perspectives. So you've got like one demographic who has completely got rid of their car. Their only source of getting from point A to point B is a bike. You know, maybe occasionally they'll take like an Uber and a Lyft, but you know, in, in this pandemic time, certainly like the only way they're getting around is by bike. And then you have other demographics. Um, and I would consider myself as one of those are, uh, my husband and I have one vehicle, the Prius. And we chose that because it's a little more environmentally friendly. And, you know, we use that when we need to. Um, and when we can, we also bicycle commute. Obviously, if we're not working on site, that's not necessary. Um, so there's the folks that balance car and bicycle. Uh, there's a growing group of e-bikers uh, who I think are trying to find a happy medium between a car and a bike, maybe they feel like their commute's a little bit too long or maybe a bit too strenuous for them. They don't want to show up really sweaty to work. And they found the e-bikes a happy medium. Um, and then you have folks that I think would primarily be car drivers, uh, but use their bike whenever they have time or feel called to do it. Um, and are just kind of more curious onlookers, maybe inspired by other people in the group who are more rigorous. Um, so you asked about how people approach it in different parts of the world. Um, I think it's important to think about those demographics when you consider the perspective that people are bringing, uh, because, you know, if you don't have a car, you don't really have an option about hating or loving your community, that that's how you get places. Um, I also think it has to do with where you are in the world because infrastructure varies hugely. Um, and, and any one of us, you know, whether it's you two or anyone else that's listening, you know, we know just from seeing pictures and reports, and if you join the bicycle commuter group, you'll see people post videos of kind of what their typical commute looks like. And I mean, if you're in a 
you know, Mumbai or uh, Bangkok, you're going to be dodging between tuk-tuks and cars and vehicles. And there is no bike lane and there is no sidewalk. And you're going to be kind of just weaving your way around and you'll get your way around. And, you know, maybe you'll have fun while you do it. <laughs> um, whereas, you know, if you live in uh, Iceland or Finland, you know, there's entire thoroughfares that are exclusively for bicycles. Uh, so I think that when you talk about someone hating their commute or loving their commute or how they approach it, you know, the experience of a bicycle commute is hugely different across the world and, and certainly in the U.S. as well. I mean, I could go into specifics, but. Can I just read a couple of the things from this lit review? It's called the lit review. You're a scientist, right? Uh, yes, I'm a mechanical engineer. You know what a lit review is? A literature review. Oh, like uh, the things that are written. Like they did know? a review of the things that are written on this topic. That's what that means. Okay, right? I'm yes. <laughs> Here's what she said. She said, people who hate their commutes are less productive and report lower well-being. That's one. Two, people with long commutes hate their commutes. Secondarily, people who experience high variability or low control are also miserable. Okay, that's long commutes. But then she wrote, <laughs> number three, people who bike are the only ones who like their commutes. Everybody else is just different shades of unhappy. This doesn't prove that cycling caused them to be happier, though. And there's several more things. Does that sound like it goes along with what you've picked up? Yeah, I would say most people, I mean, they're not gonna, they, we get a mix of posts of people that are like, oh, so frustrating today, this guy cut me off. <laughs> In which case, maybe they aren't so happy with that morning's commute. But I would say the vast majority, you know, they're, they're posting to inspire um, and kind of saying, you know, oh, I, you know, I got to work five minutes faster this morning and my speed was increased by X amount. And man, I feel really great. I don't even need my cup of coffee. I'm already woken up. Um, you know, that, that is a common sentiment. And it's certainly, it's one that I feel as well. Um, I, you know, when I do commute to work on either a bike or an e-bike, I have both um, for fun. I guess. <laughs> um, you know, there's definitely a feeling when you get to work of being like, yeah, like I've got my workout in this morning already. I'm ready to hit the ground running. I don't need to like take caffeine to wake myself up because I'm already alert. I'm ready to get to work right away. You feel more productive, I think. Now, this is all just circumstantial for me. Um, but yeah, I would say from what I've seen on our post, you know, people are generally you know, very happy that they're able to be able to bike commute. For those maybe that live in places that have much worse bicycle infrastructure, that sentiment might be a little less uh, positive um, just because they might be more likely to encounter negative situations. Um, you know, someone rolling down their window at a stop sign and yelling at them because, you know, they think that they did something illegal or they don't understand, you know, a lot of drivers don't necessarily understand what the actual rules of the road are for cyclists. Yeah. Um, I was lucky that when I was younger, I took, gosh, this is probably in 2011, the League of American Bicyclists was doing these workshops around the country for bicycle commuter training. And they kind of were just educating you about what your local rules of the road were. Um, and I'll never forget when I did my driving test, which was a little after that, uh, the instructor told me that I didn't cut my right turn tight enough. And she was going to mark me down for it. And I told her, if I cut that turn any tighter, I would have cut into the bicycle lane. And I'm not allowed to do that. I said, I know that for a fact, because that's the rules of the road. And uh, 
she gave me the points back. But I mean, like, that's a, that's a thing where it's like, even the person instructing me didn't understand that, like, that is a lane of traffic. The bike lane is a lane of traffic, at least the way that our laws view it in the United States. Um, I can't speak to other countries as much, but, you know, and if that's the case, certainly we have lots of drivers on the road that do not know how to properly interact. You know, they'll take right turns without even looking to see if there's a cyclist in the way. And that's when accidents happen. Mm -hmm. um, so... Response. I think you would qualify as an as something of an expert by now. If you're if you're getting these streams from people all over the world for all these years that you've been doing it, so have you thought of using this to make studies, or would that not be the the way you'd go about it? I probably would not be the best person to run a study. <laughs> Mechanical engineering training doesn't really teach you how to be an anthropologist or a sociologist. No. Um, you'd want something in the social sciences for that. You know, there's a lot of space to explore. Uh, how people really feel after they do a commute or do a bike ride. I mean, we, we know that you get endorphins after you work out. That's, you know, that's been well understood science for a long time. So, you know, I think it just, it's, it's a thing of getting someone on the bike for the first time. Honestly, you know, it's so common in the U.S. to fall into the habit of just taking a car to work every day. And, I, and I'm guilty of that frequently. You know, if you get up a little late in the morning, I don't have time to pack my gear or pack a change of clothes. It's just easy to hop in the car. Um, you know, because we have a culture in the U.S. where car commute, as you guys were discussing at the beginning of this episode, you know, that that's the most common form of transportation. But in terms of, you know, once you get somebody on a bike, once they have that first commute, I really feel like that's the turning point. They start feeling better. They start losing weight. You get stories every once in a while of someone's like, I've lost 20 pounds over the last six months by commuting to work. And like, you know, I've been trying to get weight off for the last two years. And who, who, what a guest I could have done it while I was commuting, you know, uh, that's really inspiring stuff. You hear that a lot, right? Are there weight loss stories? I mean, not every day, but we do. Yeah, we do see people post about that. And oftentimes when they post about it, someone else comments on the bottom and said, oh yeah, that was the same for me. You know, I've been struggling with my weight for a while. This is a really good way for me to ensure that every day I'm getting a certain amount of, you know, exercise in. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be rigorous exercise. It's just something to get your heart rate elevated and you know, get you out. I'm, I'm consistently impressed by the distances some people commute to work. Um, and, you know, they're biking as much as an hour, hour and a half each way. Um, but that's a great way to get a workout. And, and maybe if they drove it, it would be equally as long depending on traffic. So. Yeah, it's funny that you mention uh, coming to work and not needing coffee. I used to do a commute that was about an hour and a half, hour and 15 and uh end up at work and just feel amazing and everybody else is like getting their coffee and so it's it's pretty amazing and the first part of that commute i didn't like because it was in traffic and everybody's crazy in the morning and then once i got to the bike path which was probably two-thirds of the ride remaining it was just amazing meditation workout all that stuff so yeah it's pretty yeah do you on that forum do you see people organizing for public comment in their local township do you see people sort of organizing to get bike lanes and bike infrastructure in the in the places of the world that that don't have it yet like for example in los angeles we have a lot of folks organizing for public comment to 
the city council or to the LADOT, et cetera, mm -hmm. um, you know, to hound them for bike infrastructure? Does that happen in your group? And does the group sort of participate even though they might not be from that township? Yeah, not as frequently as you might think. I, I feel like our group might be more of a forum for more just like community support and encouraging people to bike commute. Uh, there's a lot, I, I would say like probably the most common post is stuff about, you know, people saying, oh, I tried out these bike gloves. They were like the best I've ever had. They're really good at, you know, sub-zero temperatures and people say, oh, cool. You know, I have something similar or somebody asking, you know, what's the best rain gear jacket to get for under 50 bucks, <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, in terms of, of advocacy stuff, I see that less frequently. Um, but one thing I've been trying to do and hopefully by me doing it, I encourage others in other parts of the country is when I do see um, legislation coming up in California, something that maybe is a petition, um, I will post that, you know, adding a caveat on the front, you know, <laughs> if you're not from California, you probably don't care about this. And I have seen a couple other folks post about it one other thing that I really do also love is people posting pictures of their infrastructure in their area. Just almost like an informative thing, you know, like, hey, this is a really neat way that my town is handling a complicated intersection with, you know, multi-use pedestrian and bicycle paths. Um, and that could be from around the world, you know, and I've seen, I've seen cities in the U.S. that have done really cool stuff and people post about it. Uh, and sometimes they'll even tag their city in it, which I think is great because if the city sees people promoting that stuff and saying, we really like this, we want more of this, uh, all the better. So do you have thoughts on the ideal infrastructure? I mean, I know that every place is different, but I feel like if, like we were talking about at the beginning, the Green New Deal really ought to have a transportation plan and it can't just be every place is different. So... <laughs> we have like uh, some common thing that we can push for? So I think one of the things, I mean, I'm not certainly not the first person to point this out, but protected bike lanes, I think is a really big part of creating infrastructure. One that's accessible um, and another that's family friendly. Um, I've seen a lot of posts on Bicycle Commuter where people express concern about biking in areas that either don't have bike paths at all or have bike paths which are, is most common in the US where you have sidewalk, parked cars, bike path, lane of traffic. Um, I experienced this a lot um, when I was in grad school up in um, the East Bay, Bay Area. And I actually, similar to, to you, I was taking a, a train plus bike and I had a huge stretch downhill where I um, didn't have a bike lane and there were cars parked on my right and cars driving on my left. And, you know, I had to kind of get over the fear of basically being about halfway into the lane of traffic. Because if I hugged the parked cars, someone's going to open their door and I'm just going to ram into that open door. It's called getting doored. And we've seen, I mean, people will occasionally post injuries they get from bike commuting on that group. And more often than not, it's because of somebody opening a door. Um, so, okay. So protected bike lanes, I think are huge because what they do is they put the parked car as the barrier between bicycle and traffic. And so you have, you know, then now you have sidewalk, bike lane, parked car traffic. Um, we've been starting to get some of those in downtown San Jose. And I think that's because bike advocates in our area have been pushing for that. That I think is something that absolutely can get pushed to other parts of the United States. Um, we have ways of doing that now 
It's just a matter of swapping. It's repainting the lines. It's swapping the cars for the bike lane and shifting things a little bit. So that's huge. Yeah, I think that's the way it's going to happen. Yeah, they do those here in in LA. They kind of they they uh, you really need to take out a lot of parking to yeah. uh, make sure that there's no blind spots at driveways. Um, totally. The way that the Netherlands would do it, yeah. But uh, those are those are slowly but surely getting implemented here, I guess, here and there. And you're always going to have people that will complain about getting those parking spots removed. But as far as I'm concerned, I mean, pre-pandemic and certainly in the next year or so, you know, Uber and Lyft have replaced the need for a lot of that parked car space anyways. You know, if I'm going up to San Francisco, you know, and I can avoid having to bring my car with me to park it, you know, I will either bike and take public transit or I'll take an Uber or Lyft. And I'm not uncommon in that. And, and certainly in other cities around the US, you know, you see things like that. So the shift to infrastructure with that protected huge. And when you have families who are comfortable and feel that it's safe to take their kids out by commuting with them, you know, we're all gonna go to the grocery store or we're all gonna bike together to the movie theater to go to a movie rather than hopping in the car. Suddenly you have kids now that are building up that tolerance, and that comfort level of being on a bike and having cars moving around them. And that's huge. You know, the reason I'm still a bike commuter today is because my dad took me out on his bike and showed me what it's like and explained the rules of the road and got me comfortable with that. So you, you got a lot of people posting about their kids. Commute. Yeah, we've seen, you know, people asking about recommendations for what kinds of bike trailers to have, you know, for kids that are too young to have their own <laughs> bicycles. Um, or you'll see uh, the, I don't know if you get, you guys probably see these in LA too, but they're like cargo bikes plus saddles for kids. So they kind of like straddle the back seat. Um, so we'll see people making recommendations or reviews after using those. Um, so there's, there's definitely a sub community within our group of parents that encourage their kids to bike. And it's really fun. It's, it's cool to see, um, you know, sometimes I'll post a picture. Oh, I just, you know, taught my daughter how to change a flat tire. <laughs> and I'm like, Hey, I remember my dad doing that to me too. You mm -hmm. know, it's stuff like that. It's, it's, it is one of the greater things about having these communities. Um, and I probably see that more in European countries um, where families will bike together. I think it's growing in the United States, uh, which is awesome. Um, but I probably do see that more in Europe. The tandem bike is like a, uh, is an uncelebrated single person bike. Like I have this tandem, tandem bike that um, I ride sometimes just to go to the grocery store. And I like it because I can hang bags off the back handlebars. And, ah. you know, every once in a while, somebody needs a ride or whatever and I'll throw them on the back of the bike <laughs> drop them off and I think and cargo bikes are the same way cargo bikes that's mm -hmm. you, know, you, you see those in when I was out in the Netherlands riding you see kids like three or four kids you know on I've in bucket bikes and cargo bikes and it's amazing what it really what people is. do yeah yeah. Well, and the point about going grocery shopping, we've had some really, I think some of my favorite threads on there is people, someone goes, Hey, you know, what's the best backpack to wear when riding a bike? 
you know, get some heated response. Never wear a backpack riding a bike. Always use panniers. <laughs> um, because it causes back problems, right? Well, I think more people are just it's sweaty and uncomfortable um, if it's a oh. long commute. Maybe there are back problems as well. I'm not a doctor, but um, but yeah, and then you'll get all these you know side comments. Oh, I love these panniers. I love these panniers. And it reminds me of when I first bought my uh, Ortlib panniers, which are these waterproof. They're practically wet sacks because um, I was in Washington State and it was, you know, that was a good way to go for me. And I used to get um, cases of rice milk. I'm dairy free. So I would buy it in bulk. And I'd carry, I'd fill both my pannier saddlebags with like probably like 20 pounds worth of cartons of this because I'd get a case worth. I'd be like, you know, biking home with an additional, you know. So grocery shopping with biking, I think it's fun. Um, and people yeah, post totally. pictures about it. People, you know? people, uh, people will say like, that's their number one thing. Like, oh, I can't go grocery shopping. I'm like, I can carry, I've done eight bags of groceries hanging off the handlebars on my tandem with the watermelon and i have some i have some ortley bags too i totally one time i was you know you're hungry and you buy too much food i totally did that and i was like oh how am i gonna put this on my bike and it was just so easy just put it on the handlebars yeah so yeah you'll see people i I don't think it was this year but i think a couple years ago someone posted about putting their entire thanksgiving dinner on their bike they're like, yep, totally. I got the turkey in this pannier and I got, you know, the cranberry sauce in this one. And it was like, good to go. <laughs> totally. Have you ever like, um, no, you're in the wrong, you're in the wrong group to people? Um, we will occasionally have folks that are like thinking more like motorbike biking um, as opposed to uh, bicycle biking. And we've kind of drawn a little gray area with e-bikes because I do think that there's a different um, mindset going into like, I'm going to use an e-bike because you're still pedaling as a pedal assist situation. Um, And I think there's a little more mindset of like, I'm still out here at least for some sustainability or benefit to the planet kind of a thing. Motorbikes are not, (laughs) they're motorcycles effectively. Um, So yeah, occasionally we'll be like, Hey dude, like don't post your mud bike video, like in our group. (laughs) Don would do that. Yeah, I was so. just going off the look on your face, Don. You're like, well, I have one of those, right? No? I am currently re- rebuilding a motorcycle engine. Nice. Because <laughs> I think yeah. I still, like, I, I think that Los Angeles in particular needs a scooter slash, it's, this is a low power, this is like a 90cc, but it's like, if, we had some kind of a scooter revolution here with the e-bikes, the bicycles, and some low-power scooters. Uh, it would be amazing here. You know, it's it, yeah. we don't need to be driving these four-passenger cars all over the place with one person in them. Yeah. So, Does Facebook have, like, a breakout feature where Los Angeles people can talk to each other? There is a new feature. I have not tested it on Facebook groups where you can do breakout rooms in the way that you can do Facebook chat rooms now. Um, I want to say it came out in the last few months, but I mean, theoretically, any member of our group could go on there and create an active breakout room and anybody in the group could join in and chat video chat live. Um, I've not tested that feature yet, um, but good. I don't know if there's a way you could like, maybe you'd name it like LA chat room or something and see who can join. 
Are you going to break out into Instagram or any other like Twitter? <laughs> For bicycle commuter? Um, it's not in the plans right now. Um, I like the, I mean, Twitter and, and Instagram are so like singular, you know, your posts, you are the active poster going out. I much prefer the Facebook environment where, you know, I'm sort of facilitating posts and occasionally I will post my own posts, but the vast majority of posts, you know, probably anywhere from 15 to 25 posts a day on that group are coming from around the world. And I think it's that crowdsourcing that's really, really valuable. Um, and, and I learn a lot from it too, you know, seeing both the successes and struggles of people. Um, I, I know I mentioned to you guys when we were chatting earlier about this, that, you know, we get unexpected controversy um, about stuff. You have intergenerational bikers that have very different perspectives on what the norm or the okay way to bike commute is. Um, probably the single most contentious issue is the use of a helmet. <laughs> um, and I would say the consensus varies greatly from where you are in the world. Because in areas, for example, like the Netherlands, not wearing a helmet is pointless because you're in a, a thoroughfare entirely to cyclists all yourself. And nobody's really going super duper fast. It's not a race. Um, and it's crowded enough. You couldn't even really go wanted to so everyone's just kind of chugging along and um wearing a and the car it? the cars are actually driving reasonable speeds even when there is mixed modes the cars are usually around you know 20 25 miles per hour so yeah, yeah. And, and the culture of biking in those areas means you know kind of getting back to my earlier point of whether or not drivers are familiar with the rules of the road for cyclists you know if everybody in that country has bike commuted one day in their life, they're going to be a better, friendlier driver to the bike commuters. And in a lot of those countries, you know, it's more than one day in their life that everyone's done it, you know? And so, yeah, the, the interaction there may not necessitate a helmet, but in the U S I think there's a lot of situations in which personally, I think that a helmet's very necessarily, certainly the, you know, powers that be American League of Bikes, sorry, the League of American Bicyclists and many local groups recommend for safety reasons that you wear a helmet and that kids wear a helmet. But oh boy, <laughs> you get some really contentious comments from people being like, you know, I don't want to be a sissy. You know, I'm a strong guy. I can handle it. I just know how to follow the rules. And, you know, or, or even comments being like, well, if someone hits me, like, so be it. It's my day to die. <laughs> and you know, it's very interesting because you get a lot of very independently minded folks that are out there because they like being on their bike and doing their thing and not having to follow rules necessarily. It's an interesting dynamic. And I, I have continually been shocked by the, you know, ferocious arguments that erupt when somebody posts something related to wearing a helmet whether it's like a law that was passed in their city requiring helmet usage and somebody goes, Oh my God, if that happens in my city, I'm never riding a bike again. It's, that it's, one it's like, uh, <laughs> like having the government on your head. Is what yeah. I, it was the funny, funny way I've heard it put. Yeah. I can understand it. It's not made for a high speed car collision. Like, if Correct. you get creamed by a car, a little foam hat on your head isn't going to do anything. It's really made for like you personally just falling off your bike and slamming your head on the ground or something like that. 
Um, if you get smashed into at 40 miles per hour by a car, you know, maybe your head will survive, but there's going to be a whole lot of other injury. So, you know, when the, when the government gets involved and says you have to wear a helmet, that's usually about all they're going to do, you know, and then they said, well, we took care of it. We made a helmet law. So <laughs> it's not biking always, is safe. The discussion isn't always even, you know, should we have a helmet law? I think, I think there's a lot of consensus about how we shouldn't because it actually keeps a lot of people from biking, which can make biking less safe because there's fewer people on the road. Right. Yeah. Yeah, These are all arguments that are made. So you can understand how people like Dale, I'm really glad you brought up the thing about, um, about people pointing out that like, is a helmet really even going to save you in a, in most scenarios. And, And certainly there's lots of side tangents on that when helmets come up and, and then same as, uh, uh, Nick, the, you know, point of being like, well, why do we even need helmet laws? It's like people, cities think if they put a helmet law in place, then they can wash their hands of all bike related issues and they've solved it. And that's not true. Um, And and the barrier to biking, yeah, but there's barriers to driving as as well. But, you know, if you say like, you're not allowed to ride a bike unless you wear a helmet, you know, what are you going to do with, you know, low income folks whose only source of transportation is a bike and having a helmet is not something they can afford. It's a reality. Like, yeah. So yes, you can see where that gets contentious. I would wear a helmet in more places if there weren't like a social stigma. I mean, even not on my bike, I would just wear it to the supermarket. What if something falls on my head? I feel like. Well, that that's another argument is that statistically car drivers experience head injuries more than cyclists is what car helmets. I was reading. Yeah. So they need to wear helmets. Why that's not? always a, a favorite um, comeback when uh, hey, a driver uh, is talking. Why don't we get the uh, social media handles that we can okay so the group is bicycle commuters group is bicycle commuter on bicycle commuter bicycle commuter on facebook yes so please feel free to join it's a great community with lots of great tips if you ever have curiosities you've got everyone from the casual bicycle commuter to i own a bike shop in that group and they are there to help um, encourage you to be a more active bicycle commuter so Awesome. I, I love really that it's do appreciate you guys. Too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all over the world, which is incredible and such an interesting way to explore um, something that truly is universal. So um, thank you for the opportunity to chat. It's been really fun uh, you. talking to you guys and learning a bit more about LA bike infrastructure. So that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I got a little wonky and nerdy in there, but um, I'm all for yeah. it. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a mechanical engineer. You can't go yeah. more wonky <laughs> and nerdy than that. There we go. All right, Claire, thanks for coming on the show. And uh, we'll have you back if you would be so kind in the future. And uh, we'll get some more updates from you. Sounds great. Okay. Take care. Thanks, guys. Take care. I rise in the morning and greet the day. Pull out the bike and I'm on my way. And transportation shows I care. Every turn of the pedal cleans the air. Green in the green. I'm saving the planet, just like my friends Dale, Sean, Toby, and Janet. No greenhouse gas, a tiny carbon footprint up your ass. I'm on a motherfucking bike. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk. 
you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group. 